Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What a great morning. This has been just a fantastic morning. Good things are happening, and I hope you agree. God is uh, so good. We hear the words of that song, I don't want to be afraid, I don't want to fear life's storms, and to hear a man like Emmanuel Johnson's back in the house. He faced some storms, but I know he's not afraid, and he's so glad to be here. And we prayed, we heard uh, Brother Barry talking about the prayer meeting that we had on Thursday. (sighs) Talk about some storms people have gone through. It was pretty difficult to watch some of the stories that we watched if you weren't here because this uh, this drug epidemic, it sees no bounds, knows no color, knows no age, knows no gender from young people to old people. Uh, the, there was a woman who talked about her dad, 89 years old. She talked about the life he had He swam with us. He walked with us. He bicycled with us in a rear-end collision. Someone rear-ended him in his car, hurt his back. And he became addicted to to these uh, opiates such that she just said he he was gone. And young people, all of it, it was hard to see. But we prayed and I want to keep that spirit of prayer alive in this church. Uh, it, it, it's moving. Uh, we were at a store on Saturday, Julie and I, and talking to a lady behind the counter and mentioned Bethesda. And she said, oh, I am so sorry I wasn't there on Thursday. My pastor talked about this. I heard how great a meeting it was. And People are, people are talking about it. They know that we need to pray against this thing. People don't want to be afraid. They want to take on life's storms. I heard a testimony this morning from Brother Steve Malik. He visited uh, the uh, DRC, the Detroit Reentry Center. It's a prison. It's the old Ryan prison in Detroit. He was there on Saturday. He said for the very first time in history, he learned, the Detroit police came into the prison and raided it and took out scads of this Suboxone, which is an opiate. So God's already here in prayers. He's already moving. And if the fear for life storms, we don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid because our God can do it. And when we talk like this, Sometimes that perspective, don't be afraid, it is well, that engenders questions. Really? Is God real? I think we all go through that sometimes. We don't really see this. We don't really experience this idea of being fearless or being in the palm of God's hands is Is God real? Is Jesus real? Is Jesus the only way? Can I ever have peace? Can faith ever rise up in me? 
These questions need answers. And I want to just take a minute to remind you that our foundational teaching, it is a question and answer class. If any of you have been in our catechism class, you know that. And we're continuing it. And I want you to know that on September 23rd, you can be part of a class that covers these foundational questions of Christianity. We've taken to calling it rooted, and we've moved it into two parts, part one and part two. So it's just 11 weeks. You can be part of being rooted, rooted one, and getting answers to these questions. Look online at our website, yourbcc.info. Go to .info and... You can look for the forms button and you'll see the form for this class and be a part of it if you've ever had these questions. And I, I know I, I heard someone talking this morning. I think I need to get back in and go through it one more time. And sometimes we need that just to refresh ourselves and build our faith, get answers to these questions. We have something else uh, starting too for couples to strengthen your foundation the new date your mate class. If you're a couple and uh, you're a married couple, you want to just really get back in touch with one another, the date your mate class is an excellent way to do that. You can see uh, Maurice and Linda Graves or Bill and Phyllis Stogard out in the foyer right after the service. There's limited room in this particular class, so I want you to know about it and be a part of it uh, before it fills up because it can help you answer questions too about your relationship. Now, these are invitations I'm making to you. I'm inviting you. And this morning, I wanna to talk to you about invitations, but the greatest invitation, the greatest invitation ever. And I want to tell you that me saying this is the greatest invitation ever, it falls short. I don't even do it justice by saying this is the greatest invitation you could possibly ever have. But I want to talk to you about it in my feeble capacity with words because God is so much bigger than us and it's sometimes difficult to describe him. But this is an invitation we find in the Old Testament. It's in an Old Testament book of prophecy our reading through the Bible together as a church has taken us into the Old Testament prophetic books. You can pick up a bulletin, find the, find the schedule, read along with us. We've been reading the Bible together as a church, and we're in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We began it a couple of weeks ago, started with chapter 1. We're up to... Uh, chapter 22, and I know there's some hard words of judgment, and I've heard some of the comments, wow, this guy is really bringing it. Yeah, he is. He is, and we've heard some of these hard words of judgment the last several weeks, but we've discovered hope is there. Jesus is there in these Old Testament books of prophecy. And we've discovered we can apply this hope today. 
This isn't just some dusty old scroll that we can ignore. There's life application. The living God is presented in these ancient prophets. We saw the hope of Jesus in Amos and Hosea and in Micah. They were bringing messages uh, to the people who rejected God, people who put up idols in their lives, people who were trusting in their own uh, wealth and prosperity, people who were ignoring the poor, people who were ignoring the downtrodden. And they were going through motions in their spiritual and religious life. It was totally empty. And so much of that parallels 21st century North American culture. We can't but make application to this day and this age. And this morning, we're going to see some similar strains in the book of Isaiah. We read through, or we've read through, as I said, the first third of the book. There's 66 chapters. Friday got us to chapter 22. And if you've been reading, you've probably noticed something about this guy. Isaiah, he is the equal opportunity prophet. Because it don't matter who you are, he's got something to say to you. And he's brought words of judgment against Judah and the capital and that southern kingdom of Jerusalem. That's his primary audience, but he's not just going to keep it focused on them. He's brought messages uh, from God to the northern kingdom, to Israel and their capital of Samaria. And it's pretty late for that nation at this time. Isaiah's come along about 25 years before they're just going to be gone. They are going to be scattered, and uh, that northern kingdom is going to fall to Assyria. But Isaiah's still trying to warn them. You can turn back to God. His ministry began in uh, the later years of King Uzziah's reign, and the king of the southern kingdom. And he gives us those details in chapter 1, chapter 6. So we know when his ministry began. But he didn't just keep it to Israel. If you've read these first 22 books, you know he spoke out against Assyria, Damascus. He's spoken against Moab, against Egypt, against Ethiopia. Uh, he has spoken against Babylon. Next week, you're going to read more. He's coming against some other cities and nations. But the thing is, intermixed in all of it is Jesus. And I hope you haven't missed Jesus. Because there are some famous, famous prophecies in these early chapters of Isaiah about Jesus. And he just keeps going. Isaiah chapter 7 Jesus comes as a sign, Isaiah says. What's the sign? The virgin shall have uh, a child. The virgin will be with child. She'll conceive and give birth to a son. And he'll be called Emmanuel. And we know that means God with us. In Isaiah chapter 8, Jesus is the holy place for his people. But who's Jesus to others? You read in Isaiah 8, he's the holy place for those who believe, but to them that don't, he is a stone 
that will cause people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The New Testament quotes that. In Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is the son who is born. And he is the son who's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 11, Jesus is the root of Jesse. He's the root that sprouts up out of dry ground and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Are you seeing Jesus as you read through these books of the Old Testament? We're just scratching the surface here, but Jesus is alive. Jesus is presented as the Savior throughout these Old Testament writings, throughout the entire book of Isaiah. And we're going to get to some great chapters in the weeks to come. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 53, 54, and many other places where clearly these are references to our Savior and our Lord Jesus. And Jesus was there in the opening chapter. And that's where I want to focus this morning. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 1. And if people were attentive, Isaiah's ministry could have been 20 verses. He wrote 66 chapters. But if only the people had paid attention to the first chapter, and not even the whole of the first chapter, they would have had They would have had the story. The gospel's there. Jesus is there. And I want to read those first 20 verses of the book of of Isaiah. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. It's going to give us some context and some insight into this prophet and the messages that he was bringing. So I'll read Isaiah 1, verses 1 to 20. It reads this way, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of your God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, 
Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah could have stopped right there. The rest of his book reflects that opening salvo. It's really just an outline of what occurs over and over again. And again, we see many of the same indictments we've heard from the other prophets, especially the hypocritical approach to God. What does God say to these people? I cannot bury you. You're worthless assemblies. I've hid my eyes. I've closed my ears to your prayers. Your hands are full of blood. And he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. He calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a pretty harsh indictment. Yet God is so good. He presents them with the greatest possible invitation they could have ever received. And before I get there, before we talk about that invitation, a little about these people. Isaiah gives sort of an outline of the people that he's addressing and that he's prophesying to. And we see the same people today. In verse number two, he says, the Lord has spoken I reared children, brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. That connotation here, this Hebrew word Isaiah Isaiah used for rebelled, it means to break away from a just authority, to, to escape from someone who's got the ruling authority over you. And this is like children. And he uses that image. It's like children who turn away from their good and loving parents who have the parental authority. They have the authority to say, don't do that. Stay away from there. Why is that? Because a parent loves a child. So it it is the rebellious of Isaiah's time. They have uh, spurned the authority of God. This is the picture. They've turned their back on God. They've made a mockery of the laws of God. They've completely abandoned his commandments. Their worship is heartless. It is empty. It's hypocritical. 
Though God has cared for them like a father who cares for a son, like a loving father, he's loved them as a parent loves a child. Yet they are rebellious. Then verse 3. Verse 3 identifies another group of people. The oblivious. These people are senseless. What's the picture the prophet gives? He says, the ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. I'll just lay it out bluntly for you. God says, you're dumber than an ox. You don't even know you've lost your senses. You don't understand. You people are oblivious. Their incomprehension beneath that of the ox that knows its master, the donkey that knows its master. So there's the rebellious, the oblivious. And then verse 4 introduces us to the corrupt. Woe to you, sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. Now, we read in some of the later verses just what that corruption is. Their injustice, their oppression of the orphans, their neglect of the widows. They're steeped in corruption. They want their own gain. They, they want to be prosperous beyond others. And again, the prophet likens them to children whose guilt is great. They have turned their backs on God. They've turned their backs on their father. So there's the rebellious, the oblivious, the corrupt. And then there's verses 5 and 6. And it speaks of an affliction. Those who are afflicted, an ailing people, a sick people. They're described as having wounds, welts, open sores, nothing to take care of them, no bandages, no olive oil. They're not cleansed. They're injured from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. This is a picture of an, of an invalid that's enfeebled and uh, diseased and totally disabled. And God makes a point, too, in the words of Isaiah, of two of the most important parts of our makeup. He said, your head and your heart are completely afflicted. And that sickness has caused a problem. It has separated these people from God. As a matter of fact, they were all separated from God in their pride, in their selfishness, the rebellious, the oblivious, the corrupt, these afflicted, they're all far from God. So far from God, he's not listening to them. And would God leave them like this? Is, is that the end of it? Does Isaiah put a period after the first 17 verses? And the good news is, no, he doesn't with the greatest compassion, the greatest grace, comes verse number 18. This is the kind of verse that is it's startling. After the description we've read in the first 17 verses, 
And all the images that we saw that were used to describe these people who had rebelled, who were completely senseless and totally oblivious to God, to the people who were so corrupt and they were practicing injustice and they were just sick, afflicted, disabled. God's patience, God's kindness, it, it's nothing short of amazing. Verse 18 should stop us in our tracks. It should give us pause. What does the Lord say? He says, come now, let us settle the matter. Now there it is. There it is, the greatest of all invitations. Remember last week, I spoke to you about who God is like. And I said, we are not like God. God's not like me. He's not like any of us. It's Isaiah's prophecy, his book in chapter 55 that describes God for us and he tells us his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. So are God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. He is not like us. He made us a little like him. And yes, he wants us to come closer to him and be more like him. We've been created in God's image and likeness. We're spiritual beings. And despite the rebelliousness and the obliviousness and the corruption and the blocking out of God to the point of complete debilitation, God makes this most wonderful, amazing invitation You who have rebelled, come. You who are oblivious, come. Oh, you who are corrupt, come. The sick, the ailing, the enfeebled, come. Now these are not angry words. They're not enraged words of an angry God. No, this is an extravagant, gracious invitation that's given kindly, that's given lovingly by a father who longs to have his children with him, a father who has been rejected and abused, who says, come, come here, come on. We need to settle this. Let's settle the matter And what's the matter? He tells us, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Think about that. Let that sink in. Let me give you an example of this invitation God's making. We know it all too well. In this time that we live in, because we've recently come through some real financial hardships in this country, many people lost their house, their livelihoods. I know things are, things are picking back up, and it's a great blessing we have. But consider, consider your house has lost so much value 
that you owe more money than it's worth. And you've been struggling to find good work. And your paychecks have been thin and they haven't been keeping up with your bills. So you began to live off your credit cards. And the day, can, the, the day comes and the credit cards are, they're at their max. They're, you, you can't use that anymore. The checking account is overdrawn. You've skipped a couple of your mortgage payments. You've been laid off. You've been out of work. And the phone rings. And you see the caller ID, it's the bank. What might you be expecting? Hey, it's, uh, it's the call that's calling your note due. It's the foreclosure call. It's the call you've been dreading because you know how far underwater you are. And wouldn't it rock your world if you answered the phone and the banker said, come now, let's settle the matter. Though your credit cards are maxed out and your checkbook is overdrawn, I'm going to wipe away that debt. Though your mortgage is in arrears, I'm going to pay it off. And I want to ask you a question. Would you hang up the phone? Would you act oblivious? Would you tell them, not interested? Would you refuse the invitation? Or would you drop everything and run to that banker and say, I'm taking it. I, I'm not going to refuse that. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. That invitation that you gave me, come on, let's settle this. And I'm wiping the slate clean. Let me tell you, the invitation that God is making is far greater than that. It's, it, it, this image just pales in comparison to what God Almighty is offering when he says, come now. Let's settle the matter. You've been rebellious. You've been senseless. You've been corrupt. Your head and your heart are wounded. And it's all because of sin. And I'll tell you what, that picture from ancient times, that picture's life today. We're no different than ancient Israel. People rebel against God. They give very little thought to God. They trivialize sin and live in corruption. And modern mankind is sick with the age-old problem of sin. And it has spread throughout the whole body. It has affected the body and the soul and the spirit from the top of the head to the sole of the feet. But God has given an invitation. Come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The image of sin here reflects the previous verses that described it and likened it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin is scarlet. It's red as crimson. It's pictured as permanent. It's an indelible mark. It is an indelible stain. How can we get rid of it? God's promise is that indelible mark can be made like wool. The scarlet mark can become as white as snow. That is an amazing promise. You know, we here in Michigan, we're accustomed to snow. 
You know what it's like when we get a foot of snow and the world just stops. The world around us is just covered in snow. Have you ever just stepped out on your front porch or your back deck on a day when we've been dumped with snow and then the sun comes up and it's high in the sky and you walk out and you're just blinded. You are blinded by the white because it is so white. That blinding white, this is what God can do to the stain of sin in the human heart. And he invites you, come to him. Let's deal with this. Let's take care of this. God would ask you to repent, to turn from your sin. And he would ask you to turn from your selfish ways and just come to him. And Isaiah was quick to point out, there is blessing in receiving that invitation. And there's consequences. There's consequences connected to rejecting that invitation. You know, the blessing for those who repent and respond with sincerity to God's invitation, they're there in verse number 19. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. The consequences for those who reject God's invitation, they follow. Verse 20. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. I mean, the entire gospel presentation is here in verses 1 through 20 of Isaiah, where people were lost, were in sin, were rebellious, were corrupt, were oblivious, were sick. Come on! God wants to take care of it. And if you take care of it with them, there's blessing. Who doesn't want to eat the good things of the land? I know I do. And how do we get that? How is it obtained? We respond to this great invitation, the extravagant invitation of God. It goes out to everyone. It goes out to every person. It goes out to all people because everyone's in need of being reconciled to God. And that invitation, it now comes through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's pictured there. In Isaiah 118, he died on a cross to make payment for our sins. His red blood gives deep meaning to the promise of God. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they'll be like wool. And the only way to remove that indelible mark of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He was convicted and he was executed for my crimes, for our crimes, our crimes of sin. And he received the sentence for all of us. And he made possible the cleansing of our sin by his blood. And you might be thinking, that's crazy. I don't even get that. How can that even be? What are you talking about? How can God use this image? That's a ridiculous image. It doesn't even make sense. That red blood, you're, you're going to tell me red blood's going to turn wool white? I don't get that image. That is, it's messed up. How could God even use that picture? That doesn't really make sense if you think about it. The red blood turning white. And I want to close with an illustration. 
to show, to show us what God means here. In his book on Isaiah, Dr. W.A. Criswell shared a story. It was a story of a father and a son watching a parade. They were watching a parade of British soldiers, and they were all dressed in their red uniforms. And as the soldiers passed by their home, father and son stood there at the window looking out at them. And the little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, their uniforms are so beautiful. They're so beautiful. Those white uniforms, they're gorgeous. And the dad said, no, son, no, they're dressed in red. The little boy said, no, daddy, they're beautiful white. Don't they look great? And then the father noticed what the problem was. He was looking through clear glass that was bordered all around in red stained glass. And when you're looking through red glass at something red, it appears pure white. His little son wasn't tall enough to see through that clear glass. And there he was looking through the red. You see, the red light, which would normally be reflected back by a red object to give our eyes the appearance of red, it was totally lost looking through that red. Looking through that red, those red uniforms were white. And that's how God sees our sin when we have the blood of Christ in front of us. He doesn't see anything red. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And that's the image of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful image because it's the greatest invitation. Have you accepted that invitation? Have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? We sung about surrendering this morning. If you're here, maybe even for the first time, and you've never heard this, and maybe it's not making as much sense as it could, I want you to know we've all been there. We've all sinned. We've all been separated from God. And the only reconciliation possible, the only way is to receive Jesus for what he's done for us and do what the prophet of old has asked. Just to turn from that and say, God, I want to be seen. I want to be seen as white as snow. My sins are crimson. I'll take the blood of Jesus. He paid for it. Put it in front of me, God, so that you'll see me pure and white. And sometimes... We struggle with counting it all as lost. And sometimes we fall short. We fall back into sinful lifestyles. And even though we know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the promises, 
we need to repent. We need to take time to say, God, I need to receive that promise fully. I'm not living knowing my sins are white because of Christ's blood. I've, I've turned from it for a time. You know, we're all not perfect. There's this process of life, even though we've come to Christ. It's not some miraculous, we're going to be behaving differently immediately. Well, it takes some time, and sometimes we struggle. This morning, you can say, God, I want to receive that invitation fully and completely. I've fallen short. And I want to give you that invitation this morning. Let's stand as we close. If you're someone who has not uh, fully received Christ, if you've been confused about this gospel, you don't need to leave this morning. Receive it. It's the greatest invitation ever. And don't you want to receive The promise, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. That means God will bless you. He'll bless you. Because the consequences, if we reject and we rebel, is something we don't even want to talk about. It's a life separated from God, which is described as destruction. And I know I don't want that. I hope no one in this room wants that. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if, if you want to receive Jesus Christ and that invitation for the first time, I'm just going to ask you to step boldly out of your seat. You come down to these altars. There'll be people here who would pray for you, people here who would talk to you, answer your questions about this God who makes the greatest invitation. And if you feel that maybe you just need to Receive that invitation in a greater way today. We have all fallen short from time to time. If you need to bow your knee and say, Lord, my sins are scarlet. I need them white as snow. I've got a a few things to talk to you about. Do it this morning. Leave here. Leave here on that high note, positive, knowing, knowing and trusting you're in that promise that God will bless me and I'll be eating the good things of the land. Father, we pray together right now. And Lord, I I pray, God, your Holy Spirit would be tender to hearts that are reaching out to you right now, God. Lord, we just, we open the, the front of the church here for any and all to yield to you. And God, I pray that you would be gracious. We receive your promise, your promise to take that indelible thing called sin and see it as white, as snow, gone, erased because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Lord, if there's any in here that have never received Jesus as Lord and as Savior, Any who have said, I don't know, that whole red blood thing confuses me. Minister to them right now, God, I pray that hearts are reaching up to you, God. Heads and hearts that might be wounded by uh, 
My life fears, Lord. God, I just pray that you would arrest that heart, Lord, and arrest that mind and show your love and your grace and your mercy and your compassion. May that person be receiving your invitation even now, God, as we pray. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you for it. Lord, if there's any in this room who have fallen short, Lord, and they're, they're living uh, under guilt or under a, 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 some kind of pain of fear, Lord, even that they've uh, not been right with you, God, I pray that that you would be gracious, Lord, that you would move that heart to say, God, I need you and I need the, the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ now more than I ever did, now more than the day that I was saved and received him, Lord, because I need to step out of this place knowing that I'm in your grace and that you love me and that I'll receive the good things of the land. God, I pray that blessing right now on any who are raising their hand or raising their heart to you in need of that. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for all that you're going to do. We commit it, Lord, unto you, and we receive the grace of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, you're good. Now bless your people, Lord. Bless any and all here. Lord, the faithful who are walking with you. God, that they would be able to leave this sanctuary and be emboldened to share the great invitation. And to say to someone, though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. God, I just pray, put people in our paths. Bless us as we go, that we might share the great gospel of our Savior Jesus with another today. We ask that blessing, Father, in that powerful, ever-present name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go in the 